Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. Uh, we are here to break down some interesting news from the Jets' mandatory minicamp uh, ahead of the break towards OTAs that officially starts today. Uh, rookies will, will be reporting on July 24th, but until then, we got a, about about a month in between a time to kill. Uh, we're going to get through the biggest storylines right off the top and start with Makai Becton. But first, I want to do things a little differently this week. I want to try and interact with our listeners more in our audience get a little more uh get to know you guys a little better and let you guys have some influence on the show especially in this down period that we're about to have so i'm going to go ahead and do things a little different throw out our social media handles here early offer up the floor to you guys for any suggestions or comments possible mailbags anything that we can cover in the meantime please feel free to let us know you can find me at andrew golden underscore 17 matt you can go ahead and drop your handle and then we can get into today you can find me at zazzy jets and make sure you guys also can send anything to at OKD podcast as well. If you cannot reach either of us, we will both make sure to get to you as much as we can. Matt, let's get into the big story. Uh, biggest, obviously, story, pun intended. And that is going to be the return of Makai Becton. Um, and his press conference that he had wore a very uh, enticing shirt, kind of calling out the haters directly. Had big bust in the middle of it with a bunch of words circling around like fat, lazy, overweight. Uh, sucks, things along that nature. And, and I think it was pretty clear that he was trying to make a statement that he's motivated and he's ready to prove everybody wrong. His exact words were, I'm going to make everyone eat their words. So I'm excited to see how he does, but it's definitely interesting that he was out for so long and we're still questioning exactly what's going on with his knee. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the situation, I'm leaning more towards blaming the Jets and their medical uh, team. Because from everything I've heard from everybody else, uh, from Duke Merriweather to even just other doctors, they've all said that this kind of injury should have been diagnosed as being longer term. Uh, so I'm kind of leading more towards the medical staff just kind of blowing this up. And I really don't like that 
if that is the case, that they haven't come out and really confirmed that. Uh, I know maybe that's uh, that might open themselves up to liability or just make them just look bad. Uh, but at the same time, they're putting everything on this 22-year-old right now and kind of forcing uh, the hate in his direction. Uh, whether it's warranted or not, uh, I lean towards not. I think he's going to be ready to play uh, once uh, training camp rolls around. I think uh, he was only in... Uh, the training area uh, this week, mostly just out of caution. Uh, same with a lot of other players like Fant and Lawson as well. Uh, but either way, uh, he's not on the field yet. We haven't gotten to see him since his rookie year. So there's a lot of question marks there. But uh, at the same time, there's still a lot that we can be encouraged about. Yeah, I think so too. And I completely agree that that something's not quite right about the timeline the Jets gave when this first happened where obviously it was week one in Carolina. He got hurt about halfway through the game. And I believe it was the next day, if not very shortly after that, they had an MRI done on his knee. Everyone was worried about a possible torn ACL. And it came out that his ligaments were clean and that he didn't have any tears. And from there, we heard four to eight weeks, roughly. Going to miss time, but not the whole season. Well, he ended up missing the whole season. And like you said, everyone else outside of the organization that has anything to do with Mekhi Becton at all has said that it really wasn't a realistic timeline and that his knee needed a lot longer to get back into playing shape. And I listened to obviously Becton's own press conference and he was asked about, you know, was there any setbacks? Was there any issues, things that maybe took longer or, you know, do you have a problem in rehab? And he was explaining that, no, he really didn't have any setbacks or anything like that. First, he had to work on getting his range of motion back, and then he had to work on getting the strength in his knee back to be able to get to play. And he had the range of motion, but he just didn't get the strength yet. And for a guy like Mekhi Becton, for the future of his career, and clearly if this was a ticky-tacky, maybe he's healthy enough to play, maybe he isn't, I think we would know. I don't think there was any chance he was ever close to playing during the season. And I think the timetable of, oh, four to six weeks that we heard in week one that never got an update, even after it was well past that timetable had expired, you know, I think that really set some unfair expectations. So I agree with you that 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 is a big part of this. And the other part that I don't think is getting mentioned as much is for Mekhi Becton's own sake and will and future for him and his body as a person and as a player and as a human being. If he were to try and rush his way back from this injury when his knee was, as he's saying it, not strong enough to handle what he needed it to do, it could move the way you needed it to do, but not handle the strength and the requirements of the joint. He could have really seriously messed his knee up for the rest yeah. of his career. He, like, he could have ended his career outright and, and never gotten back to that point and never gotten to the strength. And it could have been a problem that, you know, took the rest of his life. And like you said, he's very young. I'm sure he didn't want to potentially give himself a debilitating knee injury when he was that young. And at some point through the year, he probably found out he had a kid on the way and said, I need to make sure my body is right so that I can continue playing and be here for my, the family that I am now starting. I, I really think that a lot of people hung, uh, got hung up on the timeframe from the jets. And I think the Jets were really eager to be like, nothing's torn. 
that's great. Maybe he can come back in four to six, four to six, eight weeks, something like that. It's, you know, it's not going to be a season ending injury. And then it just never healed the way they had that as quickly as they had hoped. I don't want to say the way that they had hoped, because I don't think that's quite right. I just don't think they heal. It healed as quickly as they were hoping. And I'm expecting that Mekhi Becton is going to be able to come into training camp and perform at full strength. If not, then I do think we have an issue we can start talking about, but until then I'm not worried. See, but they also, the team also did something else. That's a little dubious. They didn't just mess up the timeline. They also kind of made him the scapegoat in using his weight as an excuse for this. Uh, And sure. Yes. He did balloon up to 400 plus pounds and yes, this absolutely did impact his ability to heal and gain his strength back. But at the same time, that storyline on its own has taken life and is being is feeding the haters out there. Uh, right now, that's like their their biggest talking point is that he can't stay uh, at an acceptable weight. And by all accounts, he's definitely under 400 pounds now. Uh, he's definitely not in the same shape as he was uh, in his rookie year, uh, just eyeing photos uh, online. But even that could be deceiving. So I think he's most of the way back. But at the same time, it sounds... and Oh, and also, uh, they uh, are quick to praise everybody else for how in shape they are and how good they look. Uh, but they, they, at the same time, don't mention Beckton at all in, in that conversation. And instead, kind of throw it back on him to make it seem like he's the bad guy. Yeah, um, I don't disagree with you. However, I am going to play a little bit of both sides here because I can kind of see a little bit of, of how this can be misinterpreted for uh, on each side of the coin. Where first off, you're saying they were kind of using his weight as a scapegoat. And, and at my core, I agree with you. I genuinely think that they were kind of nonchalantly saying, you know, he's really big. That's why it's taking longer His, you know, if he was in better shape or he wasn't as heavy, it would be easier. But I can also see where they're trying to say from the understanding perspective of that's a lot of weight. His knees got to be strong to hold and that he's naturally genetically always going to be big. There's only so small he can ever get just with the composition of his body and the makeup of the human being where they could have been saying from the argument of he's bigger. That's why it's taking longer. We understand. We were hoping that this was going to be the case, but you know, it really isn't, you know, because he's so much bigger, but you mentioned the point they're praising everyone else. They can get their hands on about their athleticism and body and how much shape they're in. If they've put in the work to do so, if the results are obvious and they speak for themselves, then they'll talk about it. But we didn't hear that about Becton. Part of it is that he wasn't there. And because he was there, taking care of his newborn kid and his pregnant wife, who was very nearly giving birth or girlfriend, excuse me, either way. Um, that's a very obvious reason for him not to be there for non-mandatory team activities. Now they get a look at him. We didn't hear any resounding immediate praise or, or anything else. So I don't necessarily think that he came in in all-star perfect shape, but I don't think it was to the point of concerning to where if it was again, we physically would have seen it for a guy that big. Yes. He's always going to be big, big in some pictures, maybe unflattering as others, but this is another point I want to add in Matt, And I think this is really important for fans to remember. We all remember Makai Becton and the number of the weight in his head and how big he is and how big he's going to be when he's playing or not based on what he weighed at the combine. 
because that's his official listed measurement. And that was 363 pounds. Mekhi Becton worked his tail off to get to 363 for the combine. He was, that was, I'm going to train and be in the best shape I possibly can and run as fast as I can. And he ran a great 40 for his size, as everyone remembers. And that was him at 363. I don't think he's playing at that weight. Mm-mm. I don't think that that's what he's actually weighing when he's in the season and playing and on the field. I think he's at least 370, if not more. And if you told me Mikai Becton played at 375, I'd believe you. Is that astronomical? Is that crazy? Is that unheard of? Yeah, that's that's heavier than 99% of all NFL players are ever going to be. But there's those rare special few guys that the league has seen throughout the years that are just built that way. And even though they are that heavy, they can carry the weight and they're good enough athletes to be fluid enough and agile enough on their feet to make up for it. And I think Mekhi Becton is one of those guys. So I'm not so worried about a number on the scale, but if the number on the scale is affecting his ability to stay healthy is affecting his conditioning then that's where it becomes a problem. If Mekhi Becton's playing at 375 and doesn't miss any games and doesn't have to come out and his playing great and his stamina is all there, I don't care that he's 375. But if he's 375 and it's leading to him missing time and it's leading to him getting gassed out early in games or, or having other issues, then that's where it becomes an issue. Right now, I don't know where to say is if it is an issue or not, because I think this was his rookie year. We saw him get hurt. He missed a couple of games, but he was able, um, you know, played well before that stayed healthy through most of the year before that this past year, he got a freak injury. He got rolled up on. It's not like this is, he went to plant and there was so much weight on his leg that his leg gave out or he took a wrong step or this was a, a random, you know, event not caused by anything he did or didn't do. And it caused him to miss the year because his rehab took longer than we all heard that it might to start with. I don't know if that says he's always going to be injury prone or if that says he had some bad luck early and he'll be able to rebound. But but I'm not going to let the number on the scale be the deciding factor because the number is going to be misleading anyway. And it's all about the results for me at the end of the day. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. It's all about the results. Uh, yeah, if he's playing 375, 380, but he's still able to play full term. And, right. uh, but and, if he's a top 15 so, left tackle, is anyone going to care? Who, who cares? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody really knows what his playing weight was, uh, either at college or his rookie season, or even going into his uh, sophomore season. Uh, nobody knows. And we can all throw out numbers online. Uh, we want to see him at at 350 we want to see him at 364 uh, like i don't think there's no, any way he could even possibly get to 350 like that's I what he, i want people to understand is right, yeah <laughs> yeah like 350 might not be a good weight for him like that's like we got to understand we're dealing with a different caliber of human being here and that if makai beckton doing everything he can in the offseason for combine training whether he did or didn't is you know we don't know his exact training regimen but i'd like to assume that he did everything he could physically to be as agile and athletic as possible because he knew he was already going to have the weight to back it up. If he had to work his tail off to get to 363, I don't think he's playing at 363. Yeah, and I still don't think he is completely back to the health that he needs to be to really get into that training, to get down to that weight yet. I think he's 
pretty much just regaining all his strength now. And really, that's the, the next step before you can really start training and getting into shape. Uh, you need that strength first. So I think he's right on the cusp of that. So I'm not worried. He still has a good amount of time to get into that shape. Uh, so, yeah, I, I won't worry until there's something to worry about. Um, and guess what? He's not the only tackle that's hurt right now. You got Fant as well sitting in the training area. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I, I really think that that is, you know, to, to put a kind of a, a bow and an endpoint on on Mackay Becton specifically, a lot of the issues that he's facing are not unique to him. A lot of the issues that he's facing are not things that only he has dealt with or only he will ever deal with or is new to the NFL or new to the Jets coaching staff or their personnel staff or anything. It's not some crazy wild event that they're having to figure out. But it is something that has to be figured out. And right now, there's nothing that can be done, at least for Makai Becton's sake. He's only been in the building a handful of days. He's working with the trainers, still coming back, potentially not full strength to be ready to go. And even if he was, they're not doing any contact anyway. He can't really show much right now. The only thing he can do is get his body right, try and be healthy, and come back and get ready for training camp. Because, leading me into my next point here, there's a serious competition both of our tackles are injured and coming back from injuries. Uh, and one of them seems to want a new contract pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. I believe it was yesterday that Micah Fitzpatrick signed a new deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers, making him the, the new highest paid safety in the NFL. And Fant quote tweeted it. And I believe his exact words were just must be nice. Not aggressive, mm-hmm. not anything, you know, demanding immediately, but very clearly making his thoughts known that he wants a raise and that he feels that he played well enough last year and that has he's outperformed the prove it deal the Jets gave him a few years ago and he's deserving of a new a new contract. So this is going to be a really interesting dynamic for the team, because if Fant wins the left tackle battle, then you have to pay him. Yeah. Like you have to, because you're going to flip Becton to right tackle for one year, then make him flip back and then have to find another tackle to go on the other side. Uh, That doesn't make any sense to me. So these next handful of days, this month plus before training camp, I think for Makai Becton and George Fant both needs to be about getting in shape, getting your body right, getting healthy and being able to come into training camp at full strength and show what you can do, because this is about to be a war. It really will be. Uh, and I still contend that maybe Fant has the inside track because of how well he played. I thousand percent agree. But not just that, but also because of how poor he looked at right tackle. And it's Double all agree. about getting the best talent in the best position to succeed. And if that means keeping Fant at left tackle and moving Becton to right tackle then do it. I, I'm not going to lose any sleep about Becton sliding to right, right tackle uh, just because he was so highly drafted and Fant was just a free agent off the street that was a, a prayer in the dark. Uh, no, uh, Fant, if he's the best left tackle uh, on the team, then you play him at left tackle and play uh, Becton at right tackle and that's it. That's all it is. Uh, but yeah, you're right. At that point, you have to pay him. Because he's not going to sit there and be our starting left tackle guarding Zach Wilson's blindside and getting paid what he's getting paid. 
he's going to want some some something solidified. He's and another want team to... will give it to him if we don't. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I think it's all about stability for this offense, for Zach Wilson, and for this team as a whole uh, to really put him down, get something written down, get it set in stone that Fant is going to be our left tackle uh, for the foreseeable future if he wins that job. Uh, I am completely with that. Yeah, I, I right now, if I had to you know, make a bet and say who's going to be the Jets' left tackle, I would put ev- all my money on George Fant. And yep. I, I would not even look back. I, I really think, quite honestly, I really don't think this would have been even considered a competition if Becton had like a serious chance of taking his job. I think Fant has the upper hand. I think Mekhi Becton is going to need to come in and absolutely dominate and give the Jets no choice but to make him the left tackle. And I'm not sure that he is going to be that good that quickly coming off an injury to beat out Fant. Yes, Fant is coming off an injury too, but they were not to the same scale. And for all we know, Fant had a minor knee injury. I don't know the exact details of, of what it was specifically, but he had a knee scope done right at the end of the season. Most knee scopes normally take about four to six weeks to heal. You want to double that with George Fant's size. He's another bigger man like Mekhi Becton. Just like Mekhi Becton's rehab took longer, we can absolutely expect the same for George Fant. So call that, give or take three months. The end of the season was the beginning of January. Three months after that, you're looking March, April, somewhere in that time frame. It's the middle of June now. So he's had a handful of months since to post-surgery to get back healthy and and to get more in a playing shape. So I think he's not only has a leg up on the field because he got all the experience of actually playing for all of the season and being out in the field and getting the repetition of the plays and being in the building and, and all the experience you get from physically playing, but I also think he has a leg up from an injury perspective where I think right now fans healthier. And it's mm-hmm. just... Uh, nothing against Makai Becton here. I want to be very clear that I don't think that anything about this is anything that he did or had any control of, or is something that if something went differently and he did something differently, he could have changed it. I don't think that whatsoever, but this is an uphill battle for him to win. It really is. Uh, yeah. Just fan, not to minimize fans injury at all. Uh, but yeah, I just don't think it was as serious as Becton's. Uh, so yeah. And I, I think, Sala and, and the team are really just keeping him off to the side just as a precaution. Uh, it seemed like they, they were very worried about injuries uh, in these OTAs and mandatory uh, train, uh, a train camp. So it, it's very high on their mind to keep these guys healthy. Uh, so we're not going to really see this competition rev up until training camp. Uh, and I, for one, can't wait. Yeah, no, it's going to be a good battle. And I legitimately think that Mekhi Becton is going to play well, and I think he's going to get close to back to his form. And quite honestly, I think he's going to be a really, really good right tackle for us. And if that's how it ends up shaking out, I don't think this is going to be a situation where Mekhi Becton's playing right tackle. Oh, no, I think that's going to be fine. I really I don't think it's going to be you know, any much of an issue. And if it leads to Fant playing better on the left side and securing the offensive line even more so for Zach Wilson, let alone in pass protection, but in the run game as well, because Fant had some great reps in the run game too. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's not mistake. He was, he was good in all facets of the game last year, not just in pass blocking. Uh, You know, I really think that their offensive line could, could be really, really good. If everyone gets into their spots, is comfortable in their spots, gets the plays down, stays healthy, 
gets communication on point, I really think it can be a really good group. There's just a handful of variables right now that we have to see how they shake out. Yeah, and you know what? It's kind of like that for the entire offense. It's like the potential is off the charts, uh, and it just needs to click uh, in certain areas, and we could have one of the best offenses the Jets have ever seen, maybe, potentially. Yeah, you know, the, the potential is the key word there because I legitimately cannot think of a time off the top of my head when the Jets could say that they could have four players on the field at skill positions who all run sub 4-4. Four, four. Mm, you yeah. could put Brees Hall in the backfield, and you could have Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, and Braxton Berrios at wide receiver. And all of those guys have burners. All of those guys could, could take it 80 and score. And, you know, we've heard Joe Douglas and Robert Sala say that they needed more guys like that, that they needed more more home run hitters, that you can't expect to go on 12 play drives every single play of every single game, that you need some explosive plays to to blow some things open. There's a ton of those guys on this offense now that for at every position, quite honestly, even the tight ends they added, which I think that's a good transition into some of the guys that have really been been standing out through minicamp uh, and OTAs. First off being Tyler Conklin the free agent from Minnesota who was brought in thought of to be more of the receiving option, tight end, the flex tight end. And that's what he's been so far throughout OTAs and minicamp when all they're doing is passing. He just seems to be getting open and making big catches, uh, you know, and getting a rapport with Zach Wilson early and on and in every practice. I'm, it's really exciting to think about the skill talent on this offense. It's they have a lot of it. If they can all click, it's going to be really hard to stop this team. It, it's really Interesting to look at these guys uh, and just see how deep they are as well uh, when it comes to the tight end, especially considering what we had last year and exactly. the complete void of talent at the position uh, with Conklin, I think, leading the way to be our tight end one. Uh, he just really flourishes in all facets of the game. And he looks like he's just building a nice rapport with Zach Wilson as well. Uh, 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 CJ, we, we haven't really seen him as much. Uh, on the field, he has been dealing with some injuries, uh, and I am a little worried about his injuries because he does have an injury past as well. Uh, so even though he's probably getting paid a little bit more than Conklin, I can see Conklin really taking center stage as the tight end. Uh, and then behind those two, uh, you've, you've got our beautiful tight end from Long Island, from Ohio State. And then you have a, a guy that has been kind of under the radar, but has been really picking up steam lately with Cager. It sounds like he's really taken to his new position. Uh, he's really making some noise out there in minicamp. And I can definitely see him hanging around as our number four tight end, beating out uh, guys like Wesco or uh, Yaboa. Uh, I can see him really uh, making a, a, a stamp. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Cager in particular, and I literally can't believe I have never thought of this until right now as we're sitting down recording and I was just listening to you speak, but the Shanahan offense, specifically guys like Kyle Shanahan, which obviously we know the connections to Michael Ford and Robert Sala, but that offense loves big, powerful slot receivers who can make plays with the ball in their hands. And they view them as kind of like matchup weapons where I think of Jawan Jennings in San Francisco. Juwan Jennings is not your traditional wide receiver. He's not going to wind up out wide. He's not going to burn anyone deep. He's not super explosive, but he is tough as nails. 
He blocks well. He can make plays with the ball in his hands. He runs through contact. He makes tough catches. And he's going to be a mismatch against guys like linebackers uh, in space. And I think that Lawrence Cager can carve out a similar role. I think that he can be a similar sort of tight end four, where if he's your backup for some of your main tight ends, but every now and again, a couple of times a season, you know, once a game or maybe not even once a game, you draw up a play for him where he get, lines up in a funky set and he motions out and he gets matched up on a linebacker one-on-one and you can, you know, toss him the ball down the field or you can give him a screen, you know, a short underneath and let him go run with it. I think that he could have a really interesting role, kind of similar to how the Jets used to use Quincy and Nunwa. I don't know. I don't think he's explosive as Anunwa was. And, you know, God bless Quincy. If he stayed healthy, he would have been amazing. Uh, he still was, even though even when he did play. But I think it can be a similar sort of guy where for a lot of people that don't remember, Quincy Anunwa played fullback when he first got to the Jets. They had him yeah. playing fullback in training camp and then eventually moved him out to wide receiver because he had played wide receiver uh, at Nebraska. I had no why idea they thought they were going to make him this H-back tight end, yada, yada, because he was such a good receiver. But that's the type of guy he was. And I think Lawrence Cager can be similar. So I'm very excited to hear that he's cha- taken this progression well. I know he's bulked up his body. He's about 240 now, I think I remember seeing, um, to put on some added weight to handle tight end. He's trying to get his blocking down you know, as best he can, coming from being a former wide receiver. But there's a lot to like with him, and I'm very intrigued. Yeah, uh, the, when we go into those big sets uh, and we start pulling out the play action, uh, having a guy like Cager with wide receiver experience uh, could you know, be, be a mismatch, just like you said. Uh, and this offense is just full of mismatches. We are talking about before about how many sub-4-4 players we have on this team. And another sub-4-4 guy uh, that's been under the radar before is really making a statement is Jeff Smith. At wide receiver, uh, he's also kind of building a rapport with with, uh, with Wilson every day. Every day, I see multiple tweets about Jeff Smith make, taking the top off the defense and yep. uh, connecting with Wilson deep. Uh, I know that connecting deep with wide receivers was more of a challenge for Wilson last year. So it's really good to see that he's connecting with somebody deep uh, on a consistent basis, and that's been Jeff Smith. And not to take away from another sub 4-4 guy in Mims, but he might be outplaying Mims right now, even though Mims is in the best shape of his life. Uh, so who's who's going to make this roster? Who's going to maybe fall to the practice squad or get cut? Uh, that is still to be determined. But there's a lot of guys here uh, in the back of the depth chart that are really making a case to hang around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff Smith, you said it. It seems like every other day we saw reports from OTAs and minicamp of Zach Wilson bombed to Jeff Smith. Zach Wilson bombed to Jeff Smith, 56 yards, beautiful throw, best throw of training camp, best throw of minicamp, you know, all of that. And for a guy like Jeff Smith, who's just speed, 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 that's what you're hoping for. If you can win deep, if you can be a deep threat, uh, just like I was just talking about with Lawrence Cager and the Shanahan offense valuing guys that have a particular skill set, they also value guys with this skill set who happens to run deep. Um, oh my goodness, I can't. Marquise Goodwin, that's his name. They signed Marquise Goodwin, 
who was a track star who converted wide receiver in the NFL. And he was one of their main targets in San Francisco when Kyle Shanahan got the job there because they wanted a guy that they can line up deep and send on a shot or scheme up a play for and speed kills. So if Jeff Smith can can work his way in and carve out a role, his speed is going to is going to be an asset. And if he can make enough plays around that speed to keep himself around, he's going to stay on the team. I, I really I think the the Jets scheme and their coaches value guys like that more than they value someone like a Denzel Mims, who isn't as much of a separator, who isn't as much of a guy you can give the ball in space and expect him to make plays with the ball in his hands. He's not a guy you're, you know, you're giving on a deep cross and you're getting him out in the open and he catches the ball on the deep cross and it's 25 yards and you're going great, but you want the guys that catch that at 25 and then can run and make it 60. I don't know if that's Denzel Mims, not that he's not fast enough. He's just not, he doesn't have quite the vision. I don't think he's as, as loose with his hips or, or, or shifty in that sense, just as a ball carrier. So is he in the best shape of his life? Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, I don't think any of that's, uh, that's wrong. I don't think any of that's a liar or hyperbole. I'm just not sure it matters. No, I, when I look at this offense, I just see a ton of variety, whether it's size or speed. We have it in spades. Uh, we can beat you with our small, fast guys. We have a shit ton of them. We got more. We got Barrios. We got Smith. You got Wilson. You got Carter. You got Hall. And then we got the size, too. We got CJ. We got Conklin. We got Rucker. We got Kager. Corey Davis on the we outside. Got Davis and Mims. So no matter how you look at it, we can beat you in so many different ways. Uh, and it's impressive that they were able to build this team in only really two years, pretty much uh, getting the, the bulk of it. And just to see it develop into what it is now is really a sight to see. I, I am truly in awe of what Douglas was able to do. Uh, and I really can't wait to see what these guys can do on the field together. Yeah. That is the one thing that I can emphatically say without a doubt uh, about the jets 2022 offseason. Joe Douglas did his job. You, you could not have asked for anything more from Joe Douglas in one year than what they were able to do, let alone like you were saying where they started from a couple of years ago and, and how deep the with talent this offense has been. And that's been the thing for me with Joe Douglas in particular is is ever since he got to this team he has made a conceded effort in improving the offense. We may not have seen quite the results that we've all hoped for. And we're still, you know, building and we've had unfortunate things happen like injuries that have messed that up. But ever since he first got to the, to the jets, it has been about offense, 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 keep investing in the offense, high draft picks, premium free agency assets. Your, you know, your best building blocks he's putting towards the offense just this past two years alone, all within the first, second round, and within the top tier of free agency, you sign one of the top guards. You sign one, two of the top tight ends. You signed, um, uh, who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? You drafted a new quarterback. You drafted a guard in the first round. You drafted a receiver in the first round. You drafted a wide receiver in the second round. And you drafted a running back in the second Rocky. round. You took a tight end in the third round. Mm -hmm. But it, this is investment conceded routine investment the year before that you draft a left tackle in the first round you sign a tackle in free agency you sign a center in free agency investment in this offense so joe douglas has done everything that he can 
to set up this offense for success. He has given them the personnel. The excuse of, oh, the Jets just don't have the guys isn't going to be there this year. And and I'm quite honestly, I'm going to be a lot more critical on this team than I normally am. And I'm marginal improvement is going to be graded as marginal improvement for me because they have elite talent that has the potential to be playing at an elite level. And I'm going to, I'm going to judge it as such. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. It's that we need to look at this team through a different lens than we've looked at them before. Uh, I know we've grown accustomed to mediocrity or just downright trash football from this team, but we have a team here, right? We, there, I can't say that there's a position on this offense that isn't filled by a guy I have confidence in. Yep. Uh, sure, the tackle spots aren't decided yet, but either way, I think it's going to be but they're filled. both quality starting tackles, exactly. regardless of who's playing which position. So we need to look at this team as a team that should perform. If they don't, that is definitely open for scrutiny. Uh, and who do you think gets blamed for that? It's probably not going to be Douglas. Uh, no, I can't see it being Douglas. I think the most likely option is Zach. And that if the offense really does not get to the point of where we think it can be, that it's going to be because Zach Wilson didn't take the leap and he's still playing as poorly as he did as a rookie in spurts. And that's what I think is the other, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but the other thing, like you're saying about judging things differently and being critical we need to be real here, here, everybody. Zach Wilson was bad last year. Zach Wilson was, was awful last year at times. Not great. Not great. And, and he's got a long way to improve. And so I want to center this as temper your expectations, because if you're expecting him to go from where he was to top of the NFL MVP candidate in one off season, that's a hell of a jump you're expecting him to make. And when he doesn't make it, or if he doesn't make it, you're going to be really disappointed for quite honestly, your own unfair reasons. But at the same time, I don't think Zach Wilson needs to get to that level for the jets to be successful with the talent they have. And so if he can just get to average, if he can get to slightly above average competent to where we can go into a game every single week, knowing Our offense is going to be serviceable and our quarterback isn't going to cost us the game. I think that's all he needs to do this year for them to improve. And then in year three, when he's really comfortable, when he's got more chemistry with all this talent, when he's even uh, another year bigger and stronger and faster and mentally tough, then I think you're going to see the superstar come out. But there's a long way to go. uh, Wrapping things back up to where we started, potential. The potential is all there. It's all about taking the steps to get to where they need to go. And if it doesn't happen overnight, that's fine, but they need to be making incremental and obvious steps because they have the talent to do so. Exactly. I couldn't say it better, but at the same time, that potential is also on the other side of the ball. And there's a lot of guys there that have through the roof talent. And I think, people also need to kind of temper their expectations for them as well. Most notably is sauce. Uh, I think that he's, his talent level is through the roof and everybody knows it, including him. I think this guy has the ability to be one of the best cornerbacks in the league, if not the best. And it's kind of showing that this team is confident in him, but at the same time, they want him to earn it. 
uh, everyone from from uh, Sala down to CJ, the entire team, they are not giving him anything. They want him to earn it. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. Uh, and and me personally, I could not love it anymore. Uh, I I love every single second of this for Sauce Gardner in particular, where uh, to, to use an example, uh, Robert Sala had an interview with Josina Anderson, who's a great reporter uh, for CBS. If you're not following her, one of the very few actually plugged in NFL insiders, but Regardless, she had an, uh, had an interview with Sala and they were, got through most of the interview and they were starting to talk about the draft class and, and the defense and the new additions. And, and Sala was going through, you know, players that they had added and he didn't even bring up Sauce Gardner, didn't even mention him. And Josina Anderson jumps in and goes, oh, well, you know, you know, you know, Sauce Gardner and, you know, what about him and, and how's he looking? And, and Sala stops her and goes, oh, you mean Ahmad? Yeah, he's doing fine. He's not Sauce yet. He has to make a play first that sort of just, yeah, we know you're good. We took you fourth overall. I like no one's sitting here saying, Oh, you know, this is the, we took him, but he's not anything yet. He's gonna, you know, none of that's actually, actually real. It's motivation. (laughs) It's poking his buttons. It's getting under his skin in a good way where I'm seeing this. And I immediately thought we were texting about this uh, off air today, Matt, but I immediately thought of Richard Sherman. And Robert Sala and his time in Seattle, and then again in San Francisco, where Sherman swears up and down by Sala as a coach, and the two of them have a great relationship. And from a personality perspective, maybe not in the same way as louder as vocally as Sherman was, but Sauce and Sherman are very similar in the sense that they are very confident in their abilities, and they know they are the best player on the field more times than not. And they act like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. One, I love that in corners. That's what you want your corners to be like. They have to be ultra confident. You need it in corners. It's a necessity. So that's let's start things off by me saying that's not a bad thing. It's not at all. I'd prefer it that way. But also from a coaching perspective, they believe the Jets and Sala and their staff, they believe, like you said, he can be one of the best in the league. They think he can be his talent is limitless and that he can be really as good as as he decides that he wants to be. And I think Sala knows from his time around Richard Sherman and his time around other great players throughout the NFL and his time coaching that certain guys just respond differently when you make them work for it. And it's almost antagonistic in like a an older brother sort of way where it's like you're picking on the little kid, even though they haven't done anything yet, uh, even as good as they've done, you're not going to give them an inch. And And I love it from just the motivation sense that for Sauce, I'm sure that he goes out to practice every day going, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him. They're going to see. They're going to see. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to grind. I'm going to win. They're going to know. And, and it's just, I think back, um, the uh, 85 Bears, that's one of the best defenses in the NFL, in the history of the NFL. Defensive coordinator was Buddy Ryan, father of Jets coach Rex Ryan. And the Bears had a Hall of Fame linebacker in the middle of their defense named Mike Singletary. And I remember watching a documentary on the 85 Bears. Mike Singletary was talking about Buddy Ryan, who not in the same way as Robert Sala, where Buddy Ryan was a little more of an authoritarian and a you're not nothing until you do anything. And then even then you're only your number. He's not as, you know, player connective as, as Sala was. But in that same sense of you have to earn your place. Mike Singletary, who's in the Hall of Fame is talking about one of his first few games in, in with the Chicago Bears, and they're playing against Kansas City. And the Chiefs had a great running back at the time named Joe Delaney, and who was tearing up the league. And all week in practice, 
Mike Singletary's hearing from Buddy Ryan. Mike Singletary wore 50. Buddy Ryan speaking, saying 50. You see him? You see Delaney? You see him? 50. You see him? You got to hit him. Take him out. 50. You see him? Go get him. And they had a play early on in that game later that week when they played Kansas City. Mike Singletary comes screaming up the A-gap and hits Joe Delaney so hard in the back it knocked him out of the game. Singletary's talking about after the game, they get on the team bus, they won the game, they go to leave. He walks past Buddy Ryan, and Buddy Ryan stops him and goes, hey, 50, you showed me something today. And Singletary <laughs> talked about it like he had just gotten a, a gift from God. Like, like, like God on earth came down and blessed him. And it's that sort of motivation where these players, Sauce is going to go out there and die for Robert Sala. He's going to go out there and give everything he has for his team and his coaches. I could rant about this all day. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And not to go too far back into what we've already covered, but I wonder if a lot of this is also being directed towards Becton. Uh, They're not praising him as uh, much as uh, he maybe thinks that he deserves or, and maybe it's all just motivation uh, to really not give him anything until he proves it. I think there's definitely a part of that too. And I also think the underrated aspect of this is that it's good for the entire team because they're seeing that these guys who are the high draft picks who have all the talent aren't getting treated unfairly. They're seeing that everyone is going to have to work. Everyone is going to be held to the same standard. And just because you were the fourth pick or you were the first pick by the GM in the history of his time as a GM, that you're going to have to come in and earn your keep. And if someone else is there playing better, that they're going to get a shot too. So I, I just think it's, from a culture aspect, it's great for the players individually. It's great for the team. I, I I love it. I love it. This is this is what football was about. This is what you know. This is what good coaches do. This is the difference between a Robert Sala and an Adam Gase right here. Adam Gase wouldn't even remotely consider to even think to do this, and let alone if he is, he's probably being serious, saying he doesn't <laughs> like the players. So I, I'm. I love it. And I'm really excited to see how sauce responds to this. He's been playing great through in yeah. minicamp and OTAs for what it's worth. Like, it's not like he's been, you know, getting roasted and they're, they're saying this about him. Like, Oh, he hasn't done anything yet. Like, no, he's actually been balling and they're still not giving him credit. Yeah, it's true. And I, I love to see that he's working on a lot of his faults. He knows that he can be a little grabby and mm. they have him with uh, his little mittens on to prevent him from grabbing. Yep. Uh, so Everything that he knows he needs to work on, he's working on it. Uh, everything that the, the coaches are doing right now with how they're treating these players is very healthy. And I really hope that it transitions into actual wins because in the end, that's all that matters. Yeah, I, we've said it before and I'll say it again. They're doing everything the right way. If, if this doesn't result in an improvement, then I don't know why it's not because yeah. they're doing everything they possibly could, in my opinion, the right way to get things done. Um, and one thing, one note on sauce, he actually had said in his press conference that he's been using those myths since college, that he's been doing it for a few years by himself. So again, speaking to the caliber of player that he is and how much of a desire that he wants to get better, he's confident and he's cocky, but he knows he's going to put in the work and he's going to take whatever extra steps he can to get better. And so he went to the DB coaches of the jets and asked if he could do that where that wasn't something that they came to him and said, we're going to do this where I would have loved it if they did. But that makes me even like more confident that sauce himself was like, no, this is how I like to practice because it helps me in my game. And I know it's good for me. And they're like, yeah, by all means go for it. Please. <laughs> yeah, please. So Take, I'm taking the initiative. Right. To really better is, himself. Yeah. You, you can't ask for more. So I'm, I'm very confident in the direction things are going. Uh, 
in just a couple of hours, Flight 2022 is going to come out, the documentary series on the offseason. I plan to sit in my loft and watch all five episodes on my projector uh, as long as it takes and probably watch it twice. So, is it narrated by Rich Eisen? It's narrated by Rich Eisen. Nice. Love it. Which uh, I'm a hundred thousand times better than Greenberg, who they had to it last year. But that's beside yeah. the point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited for that. We do have a bit of a break. Not going to have too much stuff going on outside of maybe if we do get some of these rumored signings and free agents that happen. But it's going to be it's going to be the downtime. This is the we've gotten through minicamp. We've gotten through OTAs. You know, this is the real break of the offseason. So this is when we need you guys, our listeners, to really kind of step up get in contact with us, get in touch with us. Let us know what you guys want to hear, what topics we can talk about. Anything is on the table for this period of time. Like things, the the floor is yours. The floor is wide open. We are both excited to hear from you, Matt. I'm going to go ahead and toss it to you to go ahead and close it out, drop our handles, and then we can go ahead and wrap this up and get ready for our summer break. You, I'm Matt. You can find me at Zazzy Jets. Once again, you can follow at Andrew Golden underscore 17, as well as at OKD podcast. Thank you guys again so much for listening. And we'll be back real soon. Can't wait to hear from you guys directly. Thanks again. Bye-bye.